If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're, we're jumping ahead here. Uh, we were in chapter 1 last week, and the week before that we were in chapter 6. And so we're, we're, we're going to highlight some key places in the book of 2 Samuel. Um, and today we're looking at what some scholars describe as kind of the most important theological thrust of first and second Samuel. They say this this is like this is the the, the meat here. Uh, this is is key and we don't want to miss this and um uh and I've titled this message Behold your great and gracious king. Behold your great and gracious king. Um before we look at the text here, let me ask you if you've ever felt like you ever felt like you haven't been doing enough for God? You ever, in, in your Christian life, have you ever just felt like, man, I wish I can do more. What can I do? Show me, Lord. I, I just want to do more. Has anybody ever felt like you've ever, that you've ever been in a place where you're doing enough for the Lord? You're just like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I am doing enough for the Lord. You don't have to raise your hand because I don't want to tempt you to have pride about it or uh, um, discourage you, because um, the reality is, is that I think most of us all struggle with with this reality that that Jesus is worthy of so much more than we could ever give Him. He has been so good to us, and what we see throughout the world and world religions is we see a people who just continue to try to please their deity and they never seem to measure up. And even folks within Christianity find themselves at times never really measuring up, trying harder, trying harder, trying harder, trying to give more, give more, give more, give more. And, and, and oftentimes there's a failure to recognize what God has already given us, to receive it, to take it in, to be changed by who he is and what he's done and what he says about you and me, and then respond to that. And so in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see King David finally getting a little break we see King David after living on the run in the wilderness, hiding out in caves for over a decade, running for his life, experiencing all kinds of trauma and pain and intensity. And he gets to a point in his life where he, can, where he, he actually becomes king, okay? Now, and it, and it wasn't, after Saul died, there was still some trouble that, that took place. There were still some battles that took place, some civil war that took place between Saul's house and, and David's house. David became king of Judah, and then uh, um, Saul's son was, was over um, Israel, and there was this conflict, and then there was this murder of Joab and, or Ab, Ab, Abner and... Um, and, and again, David's leading with, with, with lament in this space in, I think, chapter 3. 
But, but then David gets to this point in his life where he's seeing the promises of God unfolding before him. Kevin preached on it a couple weeks ago about the ark being brought in. And David just celebrating. He's worshiping exuberantly, expressing his joy and his delight in God. God was bringing to pass what he had said he would bring to pass. David actually became king. And and many times when it didn't look like he was going to live, just one slip of the step, and it looked like he could have lost his very life. And yet God providentially sustained him and brought him through the valleys, brought him through the wilderness, and brought him to this place of being king, having a nice home, and being at peace. And then he gets this itch to do something for God. And so let's pick it up here. Father, as we open your word, would you open our eyes to see wondrous things in your word? Open our eyes to see your glorious grace. Open our eyes to see your greatness and the greatness of your power that works towards us who believe. Open our eyes to see the hope of your calling, the riches of your glorious inheritance. Enable us by your spirit to know how deep and wide and long and high your love is for us. May we get it. May we behold you and be changed by beholding you, the one who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest... From all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, and I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word? With any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded the shepherd, my people of Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus says, Thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people, Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and not be disturbed no more. And be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. 
From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, declares the Lord, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is key. Don't miss this. I will be a father to him, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words, in accordance with all the vision Nathan spoke to David. This is the word of the Lord. And we say thanks be to God. Here is our big idea this morning. God is great, and he is gracious and faithful in his covenant-making and covenant-keeping with David and his people. And we, like David, are to respond in humble gratitude, worship, and trust. God is great and gracious and faithful in his covenant-making and covenant-keeping with David and his people. And we, like David, are to respond in humble gratitude and worship and in trust. So let's let's get a little glimpse first of all of this moment that we're this moment of time that David's in as I started to describe it. David was in a place of rest. After having fought many battles and experienced a lot of conflict and and having seen lots of bloodshed, David found him his himself in a place of rest and prosperity and a place of peace, okay? Uh, As Proverbs says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies at peace with him. And in this moment, we see, uh, we see that. There's, there's God is giving him the gift of some rest, all right? And Lord knows he needs it. He needed it. He went through some traumatic experiences. He was going and going and going for so long, And the Lord was making him lie down in green pastures and leading him beside still waters and restoring his soul and shepherding him. And he was experiencing the goodness of God in this space. We all need that, especially when we've just been going and going and going. We've been pouring ourselves out. we've, We've spent and we've been spent. We're tired and we're weary and God just gives us some rest and refreshing to step into like a men's retreat. You get a little little refreshed perspective. The windshield gets cleared off a little bit. You're able to look out. We we did a hike. Some of our men uh, got there early on um, Thursday and and Friday morning. We went to Dinosaur Valley in Glen Rose and we went up to this this lookout overlook hiked on up there we ascended up the hill all right and we went and we looked out over the overlook and we could see where we walked from right and it was just a beautiful overlook there there's perspective that we could feel a nice breeze up there 
It was, a, it was a pleasant moment. And there were some cedar trees by us. And I, and I shared uh, these verses here uh, with, with a couple of guys as we were, we were there. And so there, there's, this, there's, this, there's this perspective that we get when we're able to just step back and look, God, you've been good. Look at what you've done here. Right? We all need that instead of just going, 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 going. So David was in this place of rest and peace and reflection. And then he's like, man, I want to do something for God here. I can't just sit here and be comfortable. Right? Like God has wired us to work. God has wired us to worship. God has wired us to serve. And we glorify him in that. But too often I have seen Christians who haven't sat long enough in the grace of God and what God has done for them, and they're too quick to just busy themselves and maybe not reflect enough on what God has done for them first in Christ. I'm getting ahead of myself. This is application. So this is the moment. This was a good moment for David. We're seeing the promises of God coming to pass in his life in this moment, and David wanted to do something great for God. That's a good desire. Right? David was so excited about the ark coming in, back, restored back to Israel, and he was dancing. He was exuberantly worshiping God. Okay? But he has this nice house built with cedar wood, which is good wood. Cedar wood is, is good wood. So he's in this nice house, probably sipping some coffee if they had it back then. I don't know what he was sipping. He's chilling. And, and, and maybe, maybe, he, maybe there were some rainy days. Just imagine with me for a moment. Imagine some, some rain just hitting the tent of meeting where the ark was and the flaps flapping. You know, and, and, and David's thinking, man, we need to cover that thing better. Like, we need to cover that thing. Let me, let me talk to Pastor Nathan. And, uh, and I, you know what? I, I want to start a, a building fund. A build, and I'm going to be the contractor. We're going to set this up. So he calls Pastor Nathan, the prophet Nathan, all right, and Nathan doesn't even pray about it, you know, like, like well, this, you got this big donor here ready to build, build a big church, like, come on, let's do it, go for it, David, the Lord is with you, right, he doesn't even pray about it, it's a good desire, it's not a bad desire, the heart was there, all right, but God had something different and something better in mind, okay, and someone else in mind, but still God had something great for David, God, David wanted to do something great for God. He said, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. And then, and then Nathan hears from the Lord that night, and, he, and the Lord says, go tell my servant David, just a reminder there, I appreciate that little, little comment in there, this is my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt. And so what we see here is that God, God didn't need a house. God wasn't asking for a house. God wasn't like, hey, David, you got a nice cedar house. Why don't you hook me up too? Do you really love me, David? Well, build me a house, right? The Lord knew that David loved him, all right? But, but David just wanted, out of, out of the, the good intentions of his heart, to express devotion and worship to God. 
but God didn't need a house. In Psalm 50, it says this. It says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or, or drink uh, the, the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. The Apostle Paul says in the book of Acts, In his sermon at Mars Hill, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So it wasn't like God, God has, you know, in a business window, help needed, help needed. Like he's desperate for helpers, desperate for workers, help needed. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. He's sufficient. And he has something greater in mind here. And, and sometimes, sometimes I think we can dishonor God when we don't recognize the greatness of his part. Sometimes we think our part is so much greater and we start carrying this weight as if serving God is all on us. We don't save ourselves. We don't make ourselves righteous. We're made righteous by the blood of Jesus. We get pardoned from our sins, forgiven of our sins because of the blood of Jesus. And we get power from the Holy Spirit and from the grace of God to do the will of God. We don't serve God in our own strength, according to our own agenda, how we think he needs to be served. He tells us what he wants to do. I love love the scene, and I'm going to jump ahead to the New Testament here. I love the scene at the the Passover supper, the the last supper with Jesus and and the disciples. And and Jesus is like about to wash, he's washing feet. And he comes to Peter, and Peter's like, no, you ain't washing my feet, bro. There's no, you're, you are not washing my, I'll wash your feet, but you can't wash my feet, right? Like, he's not, he's not letting them do it. It's a humbling act to let somebody serve you and experience grace. And, 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 and Jesus said, hey, if you don't let me wash your feet, and you don't have anything, I don't, you don't have anything with me. Peter's like, okay, give me a bath. Like, go, go get, wash me fully. He's like, hey, man, you don't need a full bath. I'm just going to wash your feet. He who's been bathed only needs his feet to be washed. And so there's a, there's a principle here, a grace principle, where, where God meets us first. He, God takes initiative in saving us and meeting our needs. And he wants us to recognize that great part that he brings. Amen. And so, and notice this, that God planned to do something greater for and through David. Verse 8, now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you went I've cut off your, all your enemies from before you. I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones. Over and over, God's message to David from, through, the, through the prophet Nathan was, I'm going to do this. 
David, I got something better in mind here. God had planned to do something greater for and through David. He says in verse, um, so notice he, he, he mentions his, he says, he reminds him of his past. David was just a humble, lowly shepherd boy. The run of the family. So much, so much, so, so lowly that when Samuel the prophet came to anoint the next king, uh, they didn't even consider David as one of the sons that could be anointed. Like they, he went through all of them and, and Samuel's like, is this all you got? Do you have any more sons? Well, there's one more, but he's out keeping the sheep. That was the one that the Lord chose. God loves to take the lowly, lift them up. He chooses the weak things of the world, the humble, the poor. He lifts them up. He displays his grace and his power through them so that he might be glorified through their lives. So, So God reminds him, God reminds David of his grace in his life. I took you, I chose you. And called you out from following sheep. And now you're prince over my people. I've been with you all through those wilderness valleys. Those highs and lows that we read about David going through in his life. God says, I've been with you. I've been working. I've been present. And I've been preparing you for this moment now. He says, I've been with you. He says, uh, I've been with you wherever you went. And God delivered him from his enemies. He says, he's cut off all, and, and cut, I have cut off all your enemies from before you. He gave him rest from his enemies. And he says, and he promises, I will make for you a great name. God is making a covenant here with David. Though the the word covenant isn't used, this is what is happening. God is entering into covenant. He's taking initiative to make a covenant with David. And it sounds similar to the covenant that God made with Abraham. God told Abraham, he chose Abraham and says, I will bless you. I will multiply you. I'll I'll give you lots of descendants. And and through your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. And so we see God calling David into this covenant where where he's saying, I'm going to do this, David. I think about 23 times we see God saying he's going to do something. He's going to take some action. We see the verbs around what he's doing. And he doesn't put the emphasis on David. But David does have a response, and we will look at that. Look at verse 10. He says, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And, and the violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. Verse 11, I will, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. David wanted to build God a house that he didn't need it that he didn't need. But God says, I'm going to make you a house. I'm going to do something for you. I've already done a lot for you. And I'm going to do more. 
I'm going to do more than you can ask, think, or even imagine, David. I'm going to, I'm going to blow your mind on this one here. All right? I'm going to do something really big here. And you know what this is pointing us to, right? I hope y'all, y'all saw it, and I think most of us see it. It's pointing us to another king, a greater king, another kingdom, a greater kingdom than, 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 than the kingdom of Israel. It's the kingdom of God that is global, universal, and eternal. Looking forward to the one who will reign forever, the greater David. So we see that God had planned something greater for and through David. He says, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep. God was with David. God delivered David. God made promises to David that he was going to fulfill. Amen? And so let's look at these couple of verses here in verse 12. The promise of an eternal king and kingdom. As we read the scriptures, I've said this a number of times, we want to look for Jesus in it. How does this text point us to Jesus? How does it point us to Jesus? Because the prophets, the Psalms, and the law all point us to Jesus. When we read the Old Testament, Jesus in uh, Luke 24, after he was raised from the dead, he was walking with some of his disciples and he was explaining how the Old Testament scriptures pointed to him. All right, and here's one of those verses that you just, you can't miss it here. You can't miss it here. This is pointing us to Jesus. But there's, there's a question that, that I think we, if we're reading closely, we may, we may stumble across here. Verse 12 When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Okay, so there's there's someone else that he's referring to. Now, then he says, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be a son to me. Now, here, here's, here's, here's a, something that might challenge us. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of, sons of men. Now, here's, here's a challenge here. Is if this is talking about Jesus, we're, he, Jesus didn't sin, right? So, now, so, so here's, what, here's what theologians highlight. It's talking about Solomon And it's talking about Jesus. There is a dual meaning in this description. And in many prophetic literature, in many prophecies, we see a dual fulfillment, a dual meaning. Where there are layers of what God is doing. And think of it like a mountain range. All right? This is is an easy way, helpful way to understand it. Like you're looking at a mountain range and you see the first layer of mountains and then behind it you see another layer of mountains and you see another layer of mountains. God is doing a number of things, right? And and of course the, the big thing that he is doing is centered on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. God bless you. And so... We know that Solomon ended up building an actual temple that was glorious, all right? God allowed him to do that for for the glory of his name, and and David couldn't do it. David had too much blood on his hands, and and I I love that, 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 
that he, David prepared it all though. He had all the materials ready. He had the plans ready. He had the layout, the blueprints, and he had it all set up. And, and, and you might say that his, his ceiling was his, his son's um, floor, right? And that's what, as, as parents, we want to prepare our children in such a way. We want to disciple them and point them to the Lord so that we can help them go on and do greater things for the Lord. And so, so Solomon ended up building this, this beautiful temple, but, but then, then Solomon died, right? And, 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 and so Jesus came on the scene, and he offered his body as, as a sacrifice. He, indwelt, he came with the presence of God, the glory of God in a human tent, a human tabernacle, and he was sacrificed for us. And that, t- and that tent, that body was killed and was raised up from the dead. And now God has given us his spirit to dwell inside of us. And God says now in the new covenant, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to go to Jerusalem to experience the presence of God. There, we are among those who are true worshipers who worship God in spirit and in truth. And we don't have to go here or go there. We can encounter the presence of God right here where we're at. We have the presence of God with us and in us. Look at what Luke says here in Luke 1.30 when Jesus came on the scene. When, when the Messiah came, when, when the, the hopes of the Messiah started to come to fruition... The Israelites had waited and waited, and they longed for a Messiah. And this passage in 2 Samuel 7 gave the Israelites much prophetic, much messianic hope to look forward to. There's a Messiah coming. There's a kingdom coming. There's going to be deliverance. There's going to be rescue. There's going to be a leader who's going to bring us out of all this turmoil. Well, David experienced some peace in his day, and he did some great things in, in, under his leadership. Solomon did some great things and not, some not-so-great things. He committed significant sins, both David and Solomon. But Jesus, the greater David, came on the scene, and he committed no sins. And he became a sacrifice for our sins so that you and I can experience God's mercy and his steadfast love for all eternity. Let's look at what Luke says here about Jesus. And the angel said to her, this is to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will, bear, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The New Testament writers point us to this reality. Okay, uh, Hebrews 1.5 quotes uh, this passage in 2 Samuel where he says, I will be a father to him and he will be my son. And, and he's saying, this is Jesus. 
The author of Hebrews is saying, this is Jesus. He's the king. He's the one who's greater than the angels, who's greater than the prophets, who's greater than any judge or king who has come before. This is the one we've been waiting for. Our great and gracious king, behold him. Behold him. And so what we see when David gets this no from God now, we're not told that he was disappointed or sad or his feelings were hurt. and Like, oh, gosh, I'm sorry. I blew it. I missed it this time. I mean, it, it would have been better, you know, I think if he prayed first, right? Like, okay, should I, and Nathan prayed first. Should we build a house for God? And there's like, yeah, this is a good idea. Let's do it, right? So after hearing from God, Nathan tells him what, what God really wants. David responds. He doesn't seem to be deflated and like, oh, man, this I'm such a failure. What was I thinking? Build a house for God. I'm so arrogant, right? No. In, in response, because it, it, David was all about the glory of God, magnifying God. He was, he, he was living for the glory of God. This is his response in verse 18. Then King David went in and he sat before the Lord. He sat. Okay? He didn't get up and just busy himself. All right, I'm going to work for you, God. I'm going to go do this thing. He sat before the Lord. He was taking it in. In response to what God had already done, God chose him from, from shepherding sheep to, to being the prince over Israel. God was with him. God had delivered him. God had redeemed him. God had promised to make his name great. And through his seed, through his offspring, there would be a king and a kingdom that would go on forever and ever. And Jesus, the son of David, as he's called in the Gospels, Jesus, the son of David, came and he fulfilled. He showed that God is faithful to his promises to do what he said he would do. And David is basking in this word from Pastor Nathan, the prophet Nathan. He's basking in this, reflecting on what he said. And he says, then David went in and he sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord? And what is my house that, that you have brought me thus far? Here is just some humble gratitude expressed here. Who am I that you've brought me so far? When, when we recognize that we've been chosen before we did anything for God, that God chose us even before we were born, that should humble us. When we recognize that he has saved us and rescued us by grace, not by anything that we've done, that should humble us. That we're his worksmanship. We're his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. That should humble us. David is humbled by the grace of God, by the greatness of God, and he's expressing gratitude and worship to God. He says, and yet... Yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this, is, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because your promise according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant 
know it. God had done great things. We sang this earlier. Therefore, you are great. You are great, O Lord God. For there is no one like you. There is no God besides you. According to all we have heard with our ears, who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making his name, himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O oh Lord, became their God. David's responding to God's grace. He's responding to God's greatness. He's responding to who God is and what God has done. He goes on in verse 25. He says, and now, O oh Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house and, and, and do as you have spoken and your name will be magnified forever saying the Lord of hosts is God over Israel and the house of your servant David will be established before you for you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel have made this revelation to your servant saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this. To pray this prayer to you. And now, O oh Lord God, you are God. Your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O oh Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Know that when God says no to a prayer, it's because he has something better for you. There are times when we don't know how to pray as we ought to. And he has good in store for his people. We are to ask. We are to seek. We are to knock. And we are, we are to seek to serve him. We are called to live a life of good works and pour ourselves out. But it's key for us, if we're going to be faithful in service to God, we must first recognize what he has done for us. What fuels our fire as Christians is to be the grace of God. What he has done for us in rescuing us and redeeming us and choosing us and making us his very own. We are to sit in that. I love, it. I love that it says David sat before the Lord. He just sat. He took it all in. Right? You know, like Mary, we need to learn to sit when Jesus is present. Unlike Martha, who was serving away, it was time to sit and be in the presence of Jesus. And she was frustrated. But there's a time to be like Martha. There's a time to serve and serve and pour yourself out. But we do it so much better when we first learn to sit receive from him we have we have something to give out when we allow him to fill our cups we love him because he first loved us we're gonna be able to love our spouses better if we first receive the love of god 
We receive God's love for us. It, it brings healing to the brokenness in our own lives. It brings security and it heals us and frees us of the insecurities that break us down, that, that hinder our relationships. When we learn to first receive what he has done for us. And so let me, let me close here in a couple of points of application. Recognize how much God has done for you in Christ. Receive it. Stand in it before attempting to do great things for him. The ladies, they just went through um, Ephesians. Did y'all finish Ephesians yet? They're about to go to Ephesians. Spoiler alert. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, they're, they're about to finish Ephesians. So Ephesians has this progression it first starts out, and Paul does this in Romans. He does this in some other places. It first starts out with, this is what God has done from eternity past and in and, and, and the history of your life when, when, when you came to Christ. You, you've been made uh, redeemed, forgiven. You, you were chosen. You were predestined. You were adopted. You were brought into the family. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And, and Paul just unpacks all this grace that God has done for his people before he gives any imperatives, any commands to go do for the Lord. He's like, this is what God has done. It's called the gospel the gospel of grace, the good news of what God has done. And, 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 and then he, uh, he highlights that and he says it's to the praise of his glorious grace. And then in chapter four, he, he goes into how we are to walk out the gospel, how we are to apply it to our lives, walking in humility, walking in unity, walking in purity, walking in love. Walking in holiness. And he lists a number of ways. This is how we are to respond. All right? We see David in this passage of 2 Samuel. He's responding to the grace of the king. He's responding to the greatness of the king. And he's humbled. Right? And I'm sure if God would have said, hey, David, now I want you to go do this. He would go do it in that moment. I'm sure, I'm sure that Mary would have tried to do a backflip when she was sitting at the feet of Jesus if Jesus asked her to do it. Hey, can you do a backflip for me? Sure. Okay, that's, that's kind of a weird thought. But she was doing what she was supposed to do in that moment. And we got to learn to honor God, glorify him by magnifying what he's done, who he is, magnifying his grace rather than disregarding it, dishonoring it, minimizing it, dismissing the great things that he's done to bring rescue in our lives and be like, no, I'm gonna go do, do a lot for God and make us to, out to be the hero. Jesus is the hero in our salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. We don't pull ourselves up by our, our bootstraps. He saves us. We need a savior. We need a redeemer. We need a king to lead us because we've led our lives the wrong way. We've destroyed them with poor choices. And we do have a Savior. We are saved. We are redeemed. We are living under the reign of King Jesus. And so let us recognize that. Let us recognize what we have in Christ, who we are in Christ. And let us respond to that by walking out the gospel in our relationships. Standing, being strong in the Lord and the power of His might. St 
standing in spiritual warfare, fighting from the victory that's already been won for us. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Christ has already won. Next, know that when God says no, it's because he has something greater. Okay? There are times, parents, when we have to say no to our children. Right? Because because we may have some insight that this may not be helpful to our children. This may be harmful for them to get this thing or to get this thing right now. It might be a timing issue. And so as parents, we want to to not set our children up for um, temptation and failure. We want to set them up for success. We want to teach them patience. We We want to teach them character. We want to show them a better way. And God had been working in David's life all throughout this wilderness season that he walked through, all throughout this process. And all of a sudden, you know, David's in this place of rest, place of prosperity, place of peace. And God's wanting, wanting him to take some, take some grace in for a moment. Reflect on how great and gracious he is. And lastly, respond to God with humble and grateful worship. We ought to be the most humble, grateful people on the face of the planet because of all that Christ has done for us. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let that sink in for a moment. Let us be grateful because we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. All the kingdoms of this world are going to shake and they're going to fall. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And I hope that this reality gives you some stability and confidence when there's a lot of shaking going on in the world. When you're seeing news reports about things that are kind of scary, make you anxious and worried. If you know the king... And you know that he is great, the greatest. And you know that he is gracious, that he is with you, that he is for you. And that he has good in store for you now and for all eternity. It will help you face whatever future lies before you with confidence and comfort and peace. Because you're a part of an everlasting kingdom and you have a king who is great and gracious who is for you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And so let us be grateful. Let us be humble. Let us worship. Let us trust God to fulfill his promises. And let us respond in faithfulness to him because he's been faithful to us. He's faithful to forgive our sins. 1 John 1, 9. He's faithful to forgive our sins. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. When we just blow it, when we have failed to live up to God's standards, he's faithful to lead us, not into temptation. He's faithful to make a way of escape for every time that we're tempted with sin. There's a way of escape. There's a door where we can overcome the temptation because he's made a way for us to, to walk in victory over it. Let no one say, when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. 
Let um, uh, no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful, who with each temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so let's respond to the faithfulness of God. Let's respond to the greatness of God. Let's respond to the grace of God with humble and grateful worship.